You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Ho, ho, ho. I'm pushing the Christmas fur, guys, because we're getting close to the weirdest holiday season yet. But one of my gifts to you uh, this holiday season is the conversation with the one and only Michael Dunning, the busiest man I know. I connected with Michael through Step Zero and had the pleasure to catch him once in the old days when you could still sit inside a coffee shop. And today I'm very grateful he's taking some time out of his super packed schedule to talk to me about management, its challenges, and the opportunities in the future. Welcome, Michael, to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you for, for welcoming me on here with such a great intro. I didn't know that I was going to be a present uh, for folks. That's that's awesome. I'm thrilled to be a present. Uh, and you make me sound way too busy than I feel like I am. But yeah, weird times. I'm, I'm happy that you and I were able to at least sit down for a cup of coffee, socially distanced, of course, uh, this year. Um, but now to finally see you get this launched and off of the ground is, is, is really cool. So thank you for letting me uh, participate. Happy to be here. Actually, I owe you a thank you note or, a, or maybe a gift even because when we first met, I've asked you, what should I be actually doing with this initiative? And in the end, you said, well, maybe just give people a platform to speak about the things that they care about. And then in the process, you'll figure out what is it that you truly really care about. And that's how this podcast came to be. So, you know, you're one of the, one would say, founding fathers, at yeah. least in the <laughs> inspirational sense of this nice. podcast. So. Well, you're welcome. I'm a double present now. That's awesome. <laughs> the last month has been quite busy for me trying to get this off the ground. And we've been talking about you coming on the podcast for, I think, just as long. And so mm-hmm. I'm very happy that we finally made it happen. And I wanted to start off with your story of coming all the way from the States here to Berlin and now settling down with the two beautiful, your wife and your daughter. And yeah. so if you could give us a little bit of a background story of why Berlin, although I kind of know why Berlin, because everyone, why why not? And yeah, why not Berlin? Yeah. But yeah, tell us what made you decide to move to Berlin Sure. Yeah, it's it was a it was a journey for sure. It started six years ago. So it started when I was actually living in Chicago. And at the time, a really good friend of mine who I grew up with in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I'll give a shout out to the to my fellow Hoosiers and might be listening to this at some point. And you have a very international audience, so they might have to look up what a Hoosier is, but it's somebody from Indiana. And I was living in Chicago working for a SaaS a litigation technology company. So I'm t- thinking about a, a pivot in careers. And my buddy called me one day and he had been working at a mobile attribution company. And he said, hey, I work with a partner client who is headquartered in Berlin, Germany, and they are looking to open up an office in San Francisco. And they need somebody who's got a lot of experience with sales and uh, who can hire a team, who can kind of lead kind of more of the commercial business and get things off the ground. Are you interested? Now, at that time, full disclosure, because you mentioned Berlin, why not Berlin? At that time, I think Germany in general was not even on my top 10 list of countries to visit, right? It was like, yeah, it's cool. I'll get there at some point. I'll get there maybe for like an Oktoberfest. But I, I ended up, you know, obviously, uh, spoiler alert, I took the job. I came over uh, to Berlin and I spent about a month and a half uh, in August of uh, 2014 and immediately like just fell in love with the city. I was like, what is this weird, funky, hip, cool city, international, like just culturally diverse. It was awesome. I just really fell in love with the place. But I was also transitioning from Chicago to San Francisco. So I lived in San Francisco for three years, work at a couple of different uh, mobile ad tech companies there. And when I was just wrapping down on one of the ad tech companies that I founded uh, in uh, when I was in San Francisco, I was recruited to join another company that was based here in Berlin. And at that time, you know, it was one of those, um, gosh, like, why should we do this? And, and my, my uh, girlfriend 
then soon to be fiance and then wife, really in a very short amount of time, was very encouraging, like, let's do this. Like, why not? Why not have this experience to live and work internationally in a city that you love and you travel to a bunch of different times? So there's a bit of a journey to get here. And now, you know, also full disclosure, while I very much love this city, we were planning on being here for maybe a year and a half. And then we'd move back to Chicago, kind of got to bring it full circle. And, you know, of course, we're here now for over three years. We have a baby here. We've settled in. I'm not saying it's long term. You know, we'll see what the the next steps happen after this whole global pandemic kind of eases down, hopefully uh, next year. But yeah, it's an awesome city, and and really the cool thing about this and being in the you know the mobile. Uh, now I'm in the mobile gaming space, but the mobile ad tech space. There's a real international vibe and community. A lot of really talented, smart passionate, hungry people I've had a chance to work with along this journey. And, and now coming over here in Berlin and the, the company that brought me over here, which is a different one that I'm at right now. And I had a, a unique opportunity to work with like people from 40 different countries and nationalities. So it was just a really cool experience coming from somebody from the Midwest, Indiana, uh, to work with these different cultures and background and people. It was exciting. So yeah, I, I really enjoy living here in Berlin. It's it's unfortunate this Christmas season is a little bit of a bummer. You know, the glue vines uh, out in the Christmas markets are not happening now. The glue vines are happening indoors or on my balcony. They're still happening, just not with a bunch of other random people at a Christmas market. This year is so hard to describe and how weird it is, what's happening for everyone internationally, but for sure also the, the part of the Berlin and German culture, which is all of the Christmas markets being gone. Oh. I think for a lot of people, really, it feels that COVID is real at these, like at this point because... Uh. They don't really get to experience any of the traditionally available entertainment or um, activities that they would normally have. But I wanted to mention something because you said that it was quite instrumental for you to move here because you've had support from your partner and how partnerships and good relationships really encourage crazy decisions and that take away the fear of it mm. maybe not being you know, the best one at the point in time, but knowing that you always have each other to, to support each other is so valuable. And I had the yeah. pleasure to meet your lovely wife. So yeah, we went, I mean, I would say I give, he's a joke about you always hear that you're better half. I mean, literally she is my better half and, and everything along really the step of my journey professionally has been matched by having this confidence that's been given to me by my partner in every, in every way, even us being here in Berlin, we sat down, I actually had another opportunity to stay in San Francisco, really awesome, different type of role, different type of opportunity to stay in San Francisco. And we actually sat down and we went to a coffee shop and we went and we, we had a spreadsheet and we went and labeled all of the criteria. We scored this whole thing out and it ended up being 61 points stay in San Francisco, 60 points moved to Berlin. And oh, wow. so we're both like, okay, well, that was a useless exercise. And then we got, uh, you know, we got back to the apartment and then she was like, you know, Michael, we should do this once in a life opportunity. You know, we don't have kids yet. Like, let's do this. And, and, you know, what a great opportunity for you from a career standpoint too, to do this, to get this international experience. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to have such a strong and supportive partner to push me for experiences and to do this. And we're, you know, collectively, we're going to have an awesome family unit uh, because of that. And we do that now because we have a young daughter, which also came in uh, 2020, which is one heck of a year to be first-time parents along the journey as well. Yeah, I remember we spoke about this, that the inability to even go visit your your family with her is quite, it is obviously disappointing because yeah, nobody yeah. would like to start that way. But at the same time, I think when you tell her when she's older about the year that she was born in, 
she'll be yeah. like, no way. And you'll exactly. be like, yes way. Yeah. We this say, listen, you're, you're Berliner true and true. So yeah, I mean, it's wild. I mean, the fact that she's 10 months old and has not met uh, anyone in the family uh, is pretty, you know, you would have told me that a couple of years ago that you would have a, you know, a daughter who never met your family. But I mean, at the same time, just like everybody else, we're, we're trying to manage and we're trying to deal with it day by day, week over week, month over month. At some point, we will be able to go back and see the family. We'll be able to do this. But the way we're trying to deal with it, at least I've been trying to deal with it, is just try to uh, say, hey, listen, it's not just us. Everybody around the world is also dealing with this. And I know it sounds, I think you and I talked about this at coffee. Like, I feel like sometimes it's a bit of an assurance for me. Like, everybody is also in a really shit situation. So, like, kind of just deal with it. But, like, in general, you know, that's shaped how my mentality has been this entire year with starting a new job, being a new parent, and trying to be successful, not only in my own role, but also as a leader and as a manager, this year has been challenging, right? It's like taught me some things uh, that I've never thought that I would have to teach myself again, or at least fine tune it. So there's a bright side of everything. Sucks for sure. A lot of the times I would mention the glue vine in the Christmas park sucks, but there's also trying to find some nuggets of positivity to pull away from it as well. Yeah, I agree. Even though it's a very tough year, I find that talking to a lot of people, a lot of them mentioned that this is also the most, one of the most valuable years they've lived so far because it just pushes them so much towards personal growth, towards creativity, even in how they conduct their work or how they make sure that their relationships stay intact and how they care for other people. So speaking of all of those challenges, I think it will be interesting to dive into the part of your role that has to do with leadership and management. You've mentioned starting a new job and moving to mobile gaming. Mobile gaming has been growing for a very long time, ever since its inception, but this year has been truly crazy. And I imagine that you have been very busy. Yeah. Was this expected when you were switching the industries that you're stepping on this crazy train yeah. of constant work? Yeah, crazy train of constant work is a great way to describe <laughs> uh, what I what I jumped into. But I think, like in general, I knew that mobile gaming has been very successful and has been growing. And it's uh, and, you know even without the you know this crazy pandemic was on a, a huge successful uh, projection of, of growth, right? I think things accelerated when you say, if you look at the numbers that have been coming out, I mean, yeah, obviously it's just in general, the revenues are up because people are home playing and paying and seeing ads and, you know, and supporting the, the ecosystem. But I think for what we've seen uh, at Playtest Cloud, the company that I'm at right now, which we provide a, a, play, a remote playtesting and usability and user research platform, is which we is just by saw... by the way, excellent. If you are a gaming developer, after tracking, this is the second thing that you need. If you think about how people worked before you came around, tragic. Yeah. Now yeah. it's like paradise. You get to test everything. So yeah. Awesome. So the, and we were, you know, one of the first to really bake out a remote play testing solution and uh, specifically for mobile games too, right? It's not PC, not desktop, not console. And because of that, so like things were already busy, things were already going really well for the company. In fact, I've been working as an advisor for the past three years for the two co-founders, Marvin and Christian at Playtest Cloud. So I knew kind of like what I was getting myself into from just a pure, like things are going in a really good direction. Obviously joining in May of 2020, the big difference was people around the world that, especially some of the bigger, more well-established game companies and developers who traditionally had in-house labs where they would invite players to come in and play and, and get feedback. And this is how they conducted their user research. Well, guess what? The pandemic 
can't bring people inside. You can't have your, your, your office is probably closed. And so I think a lot of companies are like, oh gosh, what other solutions are out there? And of course we happen to be one of the, the you know, one of the best, obviously I, I'm biased uh, out there. And so I think from that regards, things have been really busy and that we've had a lot, a lot of opportunities to work with folks that I think would have come around to us at some point eventually, because there is a lot of value and in, in, uh, with this, our solution. But in general, it's kind of forced gaming companies to change and pivot as every company has been forced to, to change and pivot. And I think you mentioned kind of like the just the health of the industry and what, what's happening. I think it's more competitive now than ever and making sure that whatever you're building is going to be fun and engaging. Because if you're if the game is fun and engaging for the audience you're building for, the likelihood of it being a commercial success is higher, right? And so I think more and more studios are, are really bought into that and investing in that. So it's obviously for us personally and, and for the company, it's been, that's what's been really driving how busy we've been uh, as, as a company in the year. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch the app stores today. Yeah. That two years ago or three years ago, people would say, oh, the death of hyper casual. And we'd be like, well, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. From what we're seeing, I think mobile gaming is such a fascinating industry for being so constant and the business is open 24 seven and it's open on every continent in every country and how relatively easy it is to enter this market. If you know Unity, then you're good to go usually. And I think it's it's super easy to, yeah, I think it's super easy to get in it, but I think that the toughest part is, is, is building a quality game or product or series of them and having a series of, and stringing a series of, of, of successes together and, and staying relevant and staying innovative. And I think that's the, you know, as a consumer of, of games, it's really great for us, right? Because we get to play all these different, different types of games and, and they're fun. And obviously hyper casual has been a, a genre that's come up. That's been really cool and fascinating to watch. And there was a lot of people say, Oh, it's going to die out. And it's like, no, it's just, it's just, that's a type of game. that's going to resonate with a certain type of audience. And that's not going to replace your hardcore gamers that are looking for a different type of game. And there's room for everybody. That's it. But I think at the end of the day, it's a fascinating industry to be in. It's very fast paced. It's always moving. It's always fluid. And what it looked like three years ago, it's going to look very different in three years from now as well. Yeah, for sure. But we started talking about the switch. And when we first met, we also spoke about the challenges of managing when you're not in the same room of people. Like how have the things changed for you since we last spoke? Because I think the last time we met was July, I want to say. Now we're again, six months in. And I remember you told me, I bet you that if we talk in six months, I will have a totally different take on this. So I'm (laughs) quite interested to hear how has it been for you? Yeah, it's been challenging. Like I think that at the end of the day, it's it's taking more effort. It's taking more thought into every step of the way and then how I conduct uh, myself. How do I, how do I, how do we set goals? How do we set targets? How do we onboard? How do we train? How do we communicate with it? everything? It needed to be tweaked. I was listening to uh, a political podcast. I'm not going to go down to politics here. I'm as you, as you aware as an American, there was a, a thing a few weeks ago. There are elections. Um, so I was listening to a podcast the other day, a political podcast called Pod Save America. And the person they had, the guest they had on was the founder of uh, Black Voters Matter. And her name is Latasha Brown. And she, she said something that resonated with me. And so bear with me on the story. I'm not going political here. She said uh, that what Trump did was that he made you forced Americans to look at politics and how fragile democracy is. And she related it to uh, being stuck in quarantine, right? She's stuck in quarantine. You're in your house, you're in your apartment and you start to look around and things that you maybe not have noticed before imperfections, there's a crack in the wall, the painting is hanging sideways. You're, You're forced to see it. You're forced to recognize it. And you're forced to maybe even potentially do something, right? 
And when I, and I thought about that, when I was listening, listening to that podcast a couple weeks ago, I thought about it uh, for me as a manager, being in quarantine and uh, not quarantine, but being at home and, and being forced to work remotely and made me as a manager leader to do a lot of self-reflection. And because it, you're, you look at the imperfections, what things were working with for me before as a leader and as a manager were not necessarily correlating and working for me now. And so that was a bit of, I think when I met you, I was on the end of like coming to that realization of like, well, some of the things that I did worked in the past. Now I'm forced to having to kind of reinvent myself uh, a bit as a manager to be effective, right? So I think gonna force a lot of people, not just myself, but a lot of people to think about, hmm, how do I, how am I conducting myself? How am I communicating? How am I how can I be better? And so for me, I just saw a few things, some imperfections and some cracks in the wall, if you will, that I needed to address. And I think so at, at the end of this, I hope I can walk out of this period of time, a much stronger manager, a much stronger communicator, more well-balanced, more well-rounded. I think one area that I didn't, and, and I'm sure people that might've uh, worked with me in the past are probably rolling their eyes at this. I, I think one area that I didn't think I needed to really work on was patience. I thought it was a patient person. I think when you're in the office and you have that general vibe of well, things that are happening and progressing forward, you kind of get that feel of like it's happening. When it's remote, you don't get that. And so sometimes they're like, like I lose patience. I saw myself losing patience where I shouldn't have been. So I think as a lot of it is I've, I've had to take a look, a hard look at myself as a manager and a leader and how do I improve? And, and it's still today I am, you know, as good as I am today and tomorrow I'm going to look into improve, right? So is, do I have a lot more room to grow and improve on that? Yes. But I think the one positive, if there's, we can pull a couple positives out of 2020 is, is I'm hoping to, to be a better person at the end of this, a better manager, a better leader at the end of this. It's fascinating. If you think about it, that being stuck at home, like you said, really makes it almost impossible to not take stock of where you're at in, in the day to day. I definitely agree that there's the point of, of being impatient, especially if you're working in a fast-paced industry and there's this uncertainty of whether people who you cannot see are actually working towards what you guys agreed on mm -hmm. is a thing to go over like in your head. But at the same time, I think it's it's the three things, right? It's the patience, it's the trust, and it's the communication. Uh -huh. And if we communicate on whatever we're trying to deliver, and we're trusting that everyone's putting the equivalent amount of effort to make sure that these things are happening, then the patience can arise uh, from that agreement. But it is a switch, right? Like it, it is a moment to pause and think, okay, have I communicated what I want and how fast I want it done? And then do I trust the people that I work with that they're just as invested in getting it done? Because also it's not a solution to go and do it for them, right? Because then you never, you never are able to delegate. You're never able to let them grow as well and mm -hmm. let them take the responsibility to deliver on whatever you mm -hmm. need them to deliver on. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you're not a mind reader. I'm not a mind reader. And for some reason, I was expecting my team to be mind readers. I was expecting them to know, hey, yeah, there's this deadline that I didn't tell you about, but there's this deadline that I had in my head that you would do this by this certain date and time. And But if I didn't communicate to them and they didn't do it by the date and time, that's not fair to them, right? So it's like a little bit of like setting just communication, coming back really to some of the core basics. And I think that one of the areas that I, I saw as my strengths for myself is like, I was able to read the room well, right? Like I, you talk about EQ, right? Uh, the emotional intelligence. And I feel like there's, I have ability to read people and I have the read, ability to read the room, uh, both from like a client facing interaction to obviously uh, my team. And you remove that. And I think that was a bit of like, uh, <laughs> how do I, how do I do that? And I think that was a bit of a struggle because prior to this, you know, obviously 
I had managed a team in Berlin from San Francisco and vice versa. And so a lot of traveling back and forth that there was always a period of time where I was in the same room for a stretch of at least five, 10 days, whatever it may be working with them and you remove that. And so I think it just, you had to make, you're forced to make changes. And I think that if what I realized after really probably too long, two, three months of kind of just trying to make the old way work, like they're not working. And like, how do I just take a step back? reflect on what's not working and how to make some changes. And I think, and some of the changes is, is, is comes down to the basics, communication, asking questions, revisiting how they're feeling, you know, about everything. Cause everybody is going through this, not just me, it's my team. It's everybody around me. You, they may put on a front that everything is great, but you have no idea what they're dealing with. You have, and, and I think that's where it's like a lot of it just comes down to communication setting right expectations and making sure at the end of the day, they're in a position where they can be as successful as they are. And that's my responsibility as a manager. Exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because you're such a wonderful and thoughtful person that thinks about those things and thinks about uh, having a part of this conversation with your team member, not constantly focusing on business, but understanding that their well-being translates into how they perform and how you as a team and you as a company are able to achieve things. And even though there's been a lot of discussion around uh, well-being of employees this year, at the same time, I find that still a lot of managers were actually trying to do what you said initially you were uh, subconsciously doing, trying to force the old ways onto this completely new environment and seeing it failing, but still, you know, as, as always we do, as humans do, still hoping that maybe yeah. some at some point we can turn the page and it will work. But, you know, you consistently get feedback. No, it's not working. Exactly. And, I, you know, coming from within, within our industry and also like even the American work culture, it's very competitive. It's very fast paced, but you don't, I think sometimes you don't have a chance to spend a lot of time reflecting or thinking about some of the mental uh, co uh, components of uh, of a well-balanced work life and, and how is somebody else feeling? And this is really so competitive. Like if you're not doing your job, we'll find someone else who'll do it for you. If, if I'm not doing my job, making you accountable, then someone's going to replace me, right? There's always this element of it. But I think once again, thinking about this year, how things have evolved, I've, things have slowed down enough where that that side of like pressure kind of felt like, yeah, it's still there, of course, but not as in your face as it was. And so I'm trying to do a much better job of being present, but also being uh, present with the people I'm talking to or either from my team or my peer of trying to be empathetic of thinking like, what are they going through? I mean, you're, you had a podcast a, a couple weeks ago with Peter Wolf and you guys talked about saboteurs in your head, mm -hmm. right? The negative thoughts. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, no, I don't have those or you yourself are like dealing with them or not. But at the end of the time, like, yeah, I have, I have to remind myself, it's like, yeah, I have those thoughts myself. If I have those thoughts myself, who am I talking to? What are they feeling? Right. And so it, like, it's like, you got to think about that. And I think because, like I said, you're kind of forced to sit there and look at all these things and, and you're in this remote environment. I like keep, uh, you can't see me as I'm on a podcast. I'm waving aimlessly around my, my mm -hmm. desk spaces, which is my living room and my bedroom. That's like, it's forcing you to, to think about things differently in a different capacity than ever before. So yeah, it's, but it's challenging for sure. Yeah. There's a little bit of a relief to under when you understand that we all have those voices in our heads, even hearing it from you, you know, someone who's super successful under a lot of pressure, you know, has had so much experience working in different environments, that sabotaging voice comes out without you knowing, or sometimes even I think it's, it's, it's kind of damaging what we do, even when we joke about things like that. When, you know, you're on the project and something is not going well and you would say, oh, well, for that, we might all get fired. 
like even that message, even if it's supposed to be a joke, is uh-huh. so unnecessary for your brain because it, like once it takes uh, a note of that, that fear builds up, and then should any anything else go badly in the same project, you're like, well, now I'm definitely getting fired. Yeah, this is definitely yeah. going to work for me. I mean, no, I, I have a lot of friends who are quite young listening to this. I always say that for someone to fire you, they need to really want to fire you because it's a lot of work. It's a lot easier to get someone to improve than having to offboard them and then like hire someone else. Uh, but I, I, got- on a quick, on a, maybe on a lighter, on a lighter note, do you, uh, one of the, uh, you, when you mentioned, uh, you know, be careful with like how you phrase things. It could have been a joke, right? You could have been, hey, yeah, man, if we don't get this thing right, this whole team, we're getting canned, right, guys? Of course, it comes, you know, you're thinking it comes across the way. One of the things that I, I had to adjust pretty quickly of moving from the U.S. to uh, and working in Europe, uh, I'm a very sarcastic person. <laughs> sarcasm doesn't necessarily resonate over here. And I've gotten myself in trouble a few times saying things like that, where I'm like, I'm totally innocent, like kind of a fun between joke and people take it the completely wrong way. And I've had a couple of people come to me, like, you know, very worried, like, is that really going to happen? And I'm like, no, no, what are you talking about? Like, so uh, yeah, that's just a side kind of funny note about this is one of the changes I've had to make is that I've had to tone down my sarcasm a little bit. It's funny you should say that because I had it in reverse that here, you know, and back home, Polish people are super sarcastic because there's we've got nothing else going for us. So at least we have the sarcasm. And then when I would go to SF and I would make really sarcastic and tough jokes, people would just be like, oh, Maria, no, like, this does not work. Like, <laughs> it's not going to work here. And so, yeah, I had to tone down my sarcasm by a lot. But that was even before the pandemic. But so I maybe, wanted maybe it's not a maybe it's not a culture thing. Maybe it's just me and you being too yeah. sarcastic for the professional world. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why we're friends, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I did want to talk to you about the changes that you made. Mm-hmm. If you could maybe pinpoint a few of those that you've noticed, it will be maybe helpful for people to see how they can very effectively tweak the small things, especially mm-hmm. if they're in a similar position or they just started managing this year. There's, you know, a lot of that also happening for, let's say, first-year managers. Yeah, I actually just spoke with another uh, colleague who is a first-time manager, and he had six months of being a first-time manager before uh, the, the lockdown happened in, in March. So he's been navigating it through, and, you know, he's, he was talking about it a little bit yesterday about the, what he's learned and some of the changes on there. So I can't imagine being first-time manager going through this because it's, it's tough, it's difficult. Yeah, some of the changes I've made, I think one of the things that I recognized pretty early and because I was in the same position with some of the new employees that we brought on this year as well, is that I started in the same spot they were just several months before, right? I started a new job. Yes, I was familiar with the company and the business model and what they did, but like the actual operations and the processes and the workflows, that was all new to me, right? And I was onboarded and trained during uh, work from home, right? Which is, I've never done that before. And the people that we brought on since uh, me joining have never done that before. And I've never also uh, trained or onboarded somebody remotely. So one of the things that I, I realized is that, that the onboarding process is, is more crucial than ever before. It's always critically important. Now it's the, the likelihood of the, the success of this individual is paramount on this, like that first two, three months of onboarding and training. And one of the things that I've been doing differently, two things actually, there's two things I've been doing differently. One is we're doing more role-playing sessions. Like we're actually, before I would do these every three months where you would have a role-playing training session, we would go through a particular topic or a series of topics that happened in a in a normal setting. Now I'm doing it weekly. 
because what is different is where when everyone's in the office, right? Uh, and depending on the office setup you have, if it's an open office or whatnot, typically you're coming across a lot of opportunities to hear other people talking either internally or specifically with our clients, right? From a project management team, operations team, sales team, business development team, you're hearing other people talk about your product, your service, your day-to-day -day, uh, job. You don't have that now, right? Like, and in, in, especially in the in the first onboarding phases, you're not you're not absorb you're not a sponge. You don't you're just sitting there. Maybe you're sponging up what your cat's saying next to you, but you're not you're not getting anything else, right? Like, yeah. and so now what I've changed is to try to do more of these role playing sessions and try to have these conversations. It's not natural. Uh, obviously, they're forced and they're role playing, but I think it has been helpful for the team to kind of have these situations because if not, they're by themselves until they have a client call or until they have a call with the with their colleagues. The other thing that we're doing differently, and this is an improvement point for myself, I'm not someone who likes to sit down and write and document processes or anything. I just, it's, uh, it's like pulling teeth. I'd rather see a blind dentist than go and sit down and actually start to document <laughs> things, right? But I have to do that because if we don't have those internal resources available for somebody to find immediately and quickly to help them with a question or to help them point them in the right direction of how to respond to a client, we're setting them up for failure. And I think that was one of the things I just needed to sit down and start document things better and more organized uh, documentation so that we can do it. So those are two kind of like big takeaways that recently, at least that, that we've, been, we've been working on. Yeah, it's, that's helped out. It's funny because writing out processes and building out you know, solution concepts is literally, I think, my favorite thing to do. I just I, feel then like I need to sit, I need to just like talk and you can if you can help me with this because man I just like I can put I put it off like it's a uh, it's not my fun thing uh, to do it's just one of the things but I but I know it's now more than ever it's a critically critically important to do and to have documentation and everything. I just find it to be a such an important part of how you teach other people and how they can very quickly become so much more resourceful because I would obviously find myself saying the same things to different people multiple times in the organization. And I did really enjoy having some kind of resource where I can send them to always whenever, because similar situations happen. So whenever mm -hmm. the same situation would happen, it would just be easier for them to go through all those things. And I'm very OCD as well. So I love structure <laughs> and I love things being organized in, in, in a certain way. Uh, so I think if I, in my next... Um, adventure if I get an opportunity to build again an internal knowledge base and a whole training system around that like that's going to be something that I would want to do it's funny because whenever I would push for it in my old companies everyone would be not super excited about this because none of us loves to write stuff down and you know it takes mm -hmm. time but today it seems like I had a hunch that it makes sense yeah. needed so, yeah. very much yeah so that's great. So these are very useful tips. Yeah, that even the ro role playing in initially seems, I guess, awkward to do. Yeah. The only it's super awkward. yeah, it's super yeah. awkward. You, you don't want like to be with your peers, and we do it in like a group setting, right? It's not just like one on one. Like we're doing it in mm -hmm. a group setting. It's awkward. Uh, it's I guess in a way it's designed to be a bit awkward, I guess. But it's just it still comes down to trying to have experience uh, and to try to see how other people message things or how they respond or what kind of questions they use because if they can't get it themselves by working remotely then we have to force it and um, you know and that's another thing too just even having different people sit on different calls I know it can sometimes feel a bit weird when you know if you're a client you're joining a call and you have like five people from the company sitting there but you know trying to even do that is helpful right because you have like we have to 
we have to think in a different way of how we can get people to get up to speed faster uh, and to be more effective. Yeah, the good old days when you could shadow all the calls and no one would know are exactly. unfortunately gone. <laughs> yeah. If you think about the core competencies for a good leader, a good manager, what are the things that you consider to be the most important? And I still, again, and I'm thinking about the people that are just starting off with their management journey, with their leadership journey. There's a lot of books, a lot of resources, but I think hearing it from, you know, someone firsthand who knows themselves and, and has been reflecting on your own journey and also been observing other people. What do you think are there the most important things that people should Yeah, do? gosh, I think this changes too. I think, I think it like really... I think part of this is being open and flexible to change and, and always pushing yourself to learn and to evolve. But I think when you're looking at the core things, I mean, what what is the main role and responsibility of, of a manager or as a, of a leader? And it's to create an environment for your team, your employees to be successful. And, and what is success? And success is for them to learn and grow. If they're learning and growing, they're probably having a high out output and they're being successful in delivering the results that you have for your team, whether it's project management, ad ops, or whatever it may be. When you when you say, okay, I get that's my responsibility. What can I do to, in order to make sure that that environment exists, right? One, being empathetic, right? You have to be empathetic. If you're not, you're not gonna be trusted. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna, no one's gonna wanna come to you if, you're, if you seem so rigid and, and set in your ways and not feeling like, hey, you put yourself in their shoes. So I think being empathetic, I think, being a leader also means doing right showing how it's done lead by examples of yeah, lead by example of course but like just you know being seen like hey you're not above anything if you need to go in there and you need to create this uh, proposal you need to jump on this client call like show them yeah let's do it let's do this together so roll up our sleeves and get it done together right somebody who's who, leading needs also be very collaborative uh, with their team is that you know the hierarchy you and I kind of talked about this beforehand like mid-management is management like what is the hierarchy with this but like remove that remove that element of like oh I'm above you or ahead of you like no you're actually in a position where you, that you work for them if, if, if you work for your team because if you're not if you don't think that way you're not going to be successful they're not going to be successful right and um, so I think that's that's part of it and I think at the end of the day you have to be a source of motivation I think what I didn't know this in the very beginning of, of being a manager is that I was always trying to like, how do I hype myself up? How do I get myself out of bed? And how do I get myself in, in, in a position where I'm full of energy and passion? And certain things work for me that don't work for other people. And I think that in order to be a good motivator, you need to learn on each individual level, what motivates that person? What is it that they are passionate about? What drives them? And if you don't think, if you can't connect that, if you can't find a way of like, what is it? Because everyone's different. Like certain people love to have praise. Some people need to have that constant praise, the emojis on the on the messages, the everything. Some people don't want that. They want to know like, hey, set fair targets. And when I hit that target, you just acknowledge it, right? Or some people are really driven by comp plans that are, that are that you can make a lot of money driven by comp plan. I mean, there's a lot of different things, but you got to find that in each person. And the last thing that I think for for every manager and or any leader, it doesn't matter your experience level, first time, 10, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it may be. I think the number one thing you have to be curious. You have to be curious to learn and grow because if you're not and you think you know everything, you're you're going to get past and you're not going to be successful. Like you have to be curious to learn and grow and to challenge yourself along the way. I think we have four chapters of your next book here, Michael. There we go. <laughs> if you can help me sit down and write it, we can actually I do will. this. <laughs> I'm, happy to, I'm happy to help you. I mean, these are just like such important points and such an amazing description of a perfect manager. 
literally if it just there is no, I, i'm definitely not that i'm still learning it along the way for sure i'm just no, but, uh, you, know, think, yeah. you do leave obviously a buffer for making mistakes like because we're just human but being able to work with someone who lives by those rules and who can identify that these are the most important core principles that they want to be conducting their work with it's so important and hard to come by as well i don't think a lot of people actually do understand what their job is as a manager. Mm -hmm. And I think that mindset of I work for you is a huge difference. And I've seen mm -hmm. a lot of managers that say, well, I lead and you work for me. And mm -hmm. then people leave because yeah. they're like, well, that's not what I want. Yeah. And I think understanding that getting your hands dirty and understanding that sometimes you put people under pressure and it's not easy. You spoke about this with Dora on, on their podcast, right? That there are times when things get hard and everyone needs to get it all out there and as we say all hands on deck mm -hmm. but if you can't see if one cannot see their manager's hands also being on deck well that's a hard sell right like yeah. that's a tough sell to get people to really get engaged and understand that oh yeah we're all in this together then mm -hmm. i think the, the the other important thing that you've mentioned is the empathy but it has to be very genuine like mm -hmm. you cannot pretend to say like, yeah, I feel you, but like I'm only putting in, you know, half the time mm -hmm. and then you go work. Once it's really genuine and people again, see that you're, that you're not just saying it for the sake of saying it, then that trust gets built and they come to you. They're okay to come to you and say, Hey, you know what, this week I'm really finding it difficult. Like, I know we have important project. I'm just not feeling it, but mm -hmm. I am, you know, I am slower this week. I'll get myself back out there, but to have that trust, to be able to come to your manager and say, look, it's tough and I need a break. And I don't want you to think that this is not because I don't care. I do care, but sometimes like physically the body says no. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you mentioned like trust. I think that's it too. I mean, like if you, if you have all that together, uh, have to have your team Anyone that's working with you in general, any peers, any vendor team, they have to be able to trust to be able to come to you and talk to you in a very straightforward way. Because uh, if not, then it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And building that takes time. And I think of course. people don't realize that the fact that I will put you in the manager role doesn't really mean that everyone is going to come to you and trust you immediately. When you say, you know, it's very individual and it's very difficult and people are like, oh, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. this is the job. More often than not, you've asked for it, right? You want it to be a manager. This is management. Mm -hmm. It's not a title. It's not just something you put on your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It really is a lot of responsibility. Exactly. So yeah. on that point, <laughs> I wanted to ask, what do you think about people who, like, what do you think can be done with talent that does not mm -hmm. want to go down the manager track? Yeah. It's a great question. And I think that's, and I've talked about this with a lot of uh, folks uh, along the way here of like, there's a journey, right? And at some point in your professional career, you get to that fork in the road where you go, do you want to go down management or do you want to continue to be an individual contributor in, in whatever field and capacity you're in? And it really transcends, it could be engineers, it could be project manager, it could be sales reps, whatever, right? And I think if the folks want to take that and say, hey, listen, I really don't want to be in a position where I have responsibility of others in any capacity. I want to continue to hone my craft and be good at this. Or, you know, look, some people have no ambition on that. They're like, hey, look, I just want a job. I just want my eight to five and kind of just kind of get in, get out and do my job, do it well, and, and that's it. I don't want to have, you know, all this other fun stuff. 
Um, I think in order to retain talent and to retain and give somebody, especially a, a rock star, somebody who's a you know, high performer and somebody who's really great and fits them in the team and, and a great person, and you want to keep them motivated, I think it's having an open conversation with them. Like, what do they want to learn and grow? Because there's always projects or side initiatives or whatever that they might be really excited to learn that would greatly benefit the company. Find out what those are. Carve out a quarterly or a semi-annual or even an annual deliverable that can be a part of their role. And it could be even outside of the direct kind of like team that they're in. Say, hey, listen, I know you're in the business, the business development team, but you really want to learn SQL. Let's get you a you know, tag team with a developer who's got a pretty big project now that they can work on in a very kind of like limited capacity. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here, but carve something out that is going to be like, wow, yeah, at the end of this, I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to be more well-rounded or whatever it is. I think if you have that open conversation and then finding out what that is that they want to learn and grow into, offer that, provide that, give that platform. Because if you don't, you're going to lose, you're going to, somebody's going to burn out at some point and say, oh, well, I've, you know, I've kind of been doing the same thing over and over again. I may go take the same job over another company, but at least it's a fresh bed of paint, new people to work with and that stuff. So I think something like that is like, you don't, have to have a manager title to be successful. And I think that's another thing too. Look, I've, I've also uh, seen people and I've got some friends back home who are wildly, wildly successful. Uh, a few of my guys are really great individual contributors at Salesforce and they're obviously financially, they're doing very well for themselves. And one of them has, you know, has a still, you know, same title. And I asked him about that. He's like, I don't care. It's a title. And when the other friend who same company, this has like a, another a beefier title and as a like director of something, uh, and I'm like, oh, so how many people are you, are you, are you managing? He's like, none. I just, I just wanted that title because I just wanted a promotion and I want the pay and I don't want any responsibility. So there's different ways. It just talks to the person. It really is just a title because you want to show that you progress and like you got a big beefy fun title to put out there. Awesome. Cool. If you don't want to have any of the responsibility, obviously I'm saying this. And some companies are much larger and have restrictions on what you can do on, on that. I get it. But I think it just really comes down to talking to the individual, find out what they want to do, what find out what motivates them, find out what, what they're driven for and start working with them on that. Yeah. And the, the conversation is the first step to do that. But then the second step, I think, is also very important is that being able to deliver on that alternative. So fighting for that option of a different project or of a different path or of a different collaboration so that you can retain the talent is also part of your job as a manager. Yep. So you can have an attitude of, well, nobody's doing this at the org, so we're not going to do this, or this is not going to work. But then you need to understand the consequences of that, which is losing talent or like some kind of talent attrition in time. And again, it is complicated and it's tough, but that's the job. And yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and it's important that people realize that and um, yeah, and also seek help, right? Like you have HR departments, you have um, talent acquisition departments in, in bigger companies. And if you're a very small startup, hopefully you have an open line of communication with the founders or with the CEO and you can introduce those ideas. And mm -hmm. you know, most of the people, like you said, at this point have some amount of EQ that has to, had to be very quickly developed this year. So they should at least hear you out if you, especially if you're bringing very valid feedback from your team saying, look, I have people that have energy to perform, but they just need a different outlet than what you've envisioned two years ago for this team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. again, I'm as usual going on my own rant. So 
Uh, <laughs> that was good. It was great stuff. It was awesome. But I did want to talk to you about the future, bright future of 2021 and beyond. I briefly spoke to you about, yeah, middle management and self-management concepts. And I've been kind of exploring that because I've been reading this, um, the newest Future of Jobs uh, report from the World Economic Forum. And for the first time this year, CEOs who've been surveyed have mentioned this as a skill, like the self-management is a skill that they desire in their employees, which I always find to be quite funny in a way that they don't work towards creating that environment for them to learn about this, but they just imagine that they will you know, magically yeah. <laughs> have it um, as yeah. they come into the workplace, uh, which is cute. But let's say we're trying to introduce that idea a little bit more. Have you seen people taking on more responsibility these days, you know, as you work with them? Or do you find that given the circumstances, everyone's so kind of burned out or, or at least under pressure that you as a manager need to put in more effort into getting things done? How does that dynamic work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of, uh, of ways you can go with this. I mean, looking ahead of the future, I think, which I also think, you know, the new normal, which is really brilliant. And I told you that I think that the new normal ahead of us is still being defined. And uh, that's going to have an impact on everything uh, within our personal lives and our professional lives. And one of them is, yeah, how does it is a, is a company going to be structured? What is what does the hierarchy look like? What does management look like? And at the end of the day, what does an individual look like in a, in a company? And I think, I think it's very naive that I don't know who the CEOs were, were quoted in this, and but I think it's naive to think that some people just are, are that this all of a sudden just kind of popped out of nowhere because they're working remotely. I think a lot of individuals, especially the ones that are very successful, are self-motivated. They are driven and they are managing themselves uh, in, in, in several different capacities. So do I think that there's going to be changes in the way depending on how things move back. I don't know. I think a lot of companies are moving to this real hybrid work, uh, work remote, work in a little bit in the office or never just keep working remotely. So I think it's fundamentally going to change. I think so team structure sizes, I think will change. I think, I think you'll move away from having smaller teams maybe, right? Maybe their bigger teams are consolidated because you can effectively manage more people in a remote capacity than you could do in the past. I think one of the concerns I have is in, you know, looking at, you mentioned this earlier and I thought about you know, a little bit about like, how did I learn to get to where I'm at today? And I learned from previous managers and leaders, both good and bad, right? I had some really shit, terrible managers and I've had some really amazing leaders who I, I've looked at as mentors and who have been able to learn and grow from, but I learned from both of them, right? Mm -hmm. I've learned what not to do when I learned on what I, the stuff that I actually really liked, right? And so I think that especially up and coming leaders and managers, like losing that aspect of being able to work very closely with other leaders and other managers, I think that's going to potentially have a negative impact for their own growth, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, that's an area I'm concerned. I don't know if I answered uh, answer that part to go to your second part of the question, like what I'm doing differently on that side or what I'm thinking ahead. Yeah, and I am thinking about what does that mean for the structure of how we do things as, as, as our company looks at and how, or how we grow the company so that we can do things differently in the future. Do I have all the answers I, and ideas right now? No. <laughs> um, I'm still, I think I'm waiting for the 2020-21 year to settle out a little bit. But yeah, I think it's just going to require thinking differently and operating differently. And a lot of the assumptions we've made in the past or a lot of the ways we've operated, throw the script out and start over. Think about it differently. Uh, there's a new normal and uh, it's still being defined right now, but embrace it. This is so on point. Exactly what I was just thinking when you were talking about this is don't wait for the change to come meet you. Seek out the change 
see if you can innovate today before you have to deal with all of the other consequences of you not being prepared. This is so important for leaders to see that, yes, the change is coming. Yes, you will have to deal with it. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Like if you brace yourself now, like if you prepare now, you will anyway have to go through it. So you might as well do it faster and be ahead of the competition, be ahead of any unplanned events that might cause your people, like you said, to at some point lose interest and go and work somewhere else, even though it seems like the same job. So I think this is an excellent piece of advice to take stock, especially now, like this end of year, take stock of where you are and really force yourself to try and innovate for next year so that you can manage this risk of potentially either losing talent or losing business, right? Because if you don't have the people that you need, well, then also your business suffers. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many great ideas. Wow. (laughs) You and I together. First, let's write this book and then we'll go do something. <laughs> I'm happy to start working on that. And do you, do you think about any other big trends for management in the coming months? It's a good question. Big trends. I think that I still think, you know, in the same theme that we've been, you know, really uh, talking a lot about today is just how do you embrace the challenges that are, that are there, that are going to be there for the foreseeable future, but how the companies are going to be successful and the, and the leaders and the managers and the, and the, and the executives are going to be successful. Are the ones that are going to learn how to pivot and pivot fast and learn to make sure that we can keep teams operating at a high capacity that are thinking about different ways uh, that the teams can collaborate and communicate amongst each other. Even, you know, client relationships. I mean, it's really tough. This is the first time in my professional career I haven't traveled and met with a client face-to-face in, in an entire year. Like, how does that change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this, like, the folks that are going to get it together are the ones that are going to be willing to take risk to see that, hey, we need to change it. And these changes that we implement now are not a short gap. It's not from us to get from now until we get back to whatever the, the new normal is going to be, but things that we can actually make long-lasting and long-changing. And if that means not having a huge office, and having people work more remotely and wherever, then, and because you now have the infrastructure and the processes and the documentation to support that, double down on it, make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's really, so it's not really a trend and I don't know this, but I think that's just uh, what I think me and the, my, the, the, the folks I work with at Playtest Cloud, like that's what we're aiming for in 2021. How do we continue to do what we're doing well identify the, the pains, the point, the pain points and the improvement points and let's fix them and tackle whatever the new challenges 2021 brings. Yeah. Agreed. I also had a thought and I lost it, but it was a, another good thought. <laughs> it's a, thinking, we're, we're filming this on a Friday. We're already thinking about glue vines. It's understandable. <laughs> but I was thinking about something. Oh no, I lost it completely to what you said about, yeah, just like doubling down on, oh, I know um, that a big part of all of this that you were talking about is learning, which I'm very interested in, in the techniques and the methods that are going to, that are going to, going to be used in the future of how do you distribute knowledge? How do you distribute those invaluable skills? Like how do you teach other people what you know is working so well for you? Let's say if you're doing sales differently, if you're doing ops differently. And I think a big part of what I'm trying to explore right now is whether it's the platforms, but also more so even the methodology of how do you get that piece of information out of your head and how I can get it into a lot of people's heads. And how do I, I don't love that phrase, but it's, it's kind of true, is how do I really democratize knowledge? Mm-hmm. 
in the organization. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big it's a big challenge. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning part, you know, onboarding, the training, mm -hmm. the knowledge transfer, it's it's difficult. It's di and when we, you know, we don't have a perfect solution today, and we're still focusing on it. And yeah, so what is it going to look like next year? And I think there's actually a lot of companies that are doing stuff already in that in that area, and I think they're going to continue to grow and and they're going to get their uh, their time in the light because uh, companies are forced to to think differently about how they can even use other third party platforms to mm -hmm. make sure that we can get the uh, information and the knowledge uh, to the right hands at the right time. Yeah, super fun. But actually, again, all thanks to you because I started the podcast. And then I started thinking about, you know, different areas that I want to go into and learning and development of the future is actually one that I discovered through talking to different people. So nice. thank you, thank you yeah. Michael. You've <laughs> You're been, welcome. You've been <laughs> such a great gift that keeps on giving um, this year. And so before I let you go, I would like to do the VP roulette, which is the yeah. three out of 10 random questions that I do with all of my guests. So I will let you choose three numbers, and then we're going to get to it. Cool. So let's do three, seven, and nine. Three, seven, and nine. What's the best thing that came out of this new normal for you? It's the question number three. Best thing that came out of the new normal. Oof. And I can't cop out and say my daughter being born this year. Um, I was going to say that. I was like, if I don't say I mean, that, uh, I'm going to have a counts. strongly worded uh, uh, message after this. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, obviously moving, I mean, personal side, I mean, it's been, because it all, you, you live in your work right now, right? So we're, we're living at home and this, but I think that the biggest positive, and, and this is one of the things that I, I, I hold on to it. Those days that are really tough for me. Yeah, I get a chance to hold my daughter like within five minutes and I just walk in the other room and do it. And I know that if if this had not happened, I would be in the office. I would have been traveling. I would not have been able to spend 95% of her dinners uh, and bedtime routine with her that I've been able to do this year. And I've been able to do that and do my job. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it gets loud on the, on the calls, but I would not have been able to do that if this didn't happen. So I think the, the positive side of it is like, yeah, it's I've been able to spend the first year of my, my daughter's life together and I'm able to blend it in with my, my work life uh, over here because uh, yeah, my commute is literally five feet. Um, so I've had no choice mm -hmm. but just to have it all together. So I think that's the positive, yeah. Yeah, and especially in this first such formative time, you know, that first year, exactly. be able to see how she changes from day to day and learns new things and how she reacts differently to you and your wife and, you know, all of those things. It's so amazing. So, fun. I mean, she's, yeah, she's pronouncing uh, Dada by, by saying mama right now. So, but we're, we're working on that. So we're working on it. <laughs> okay. Dad joke in <laughs> one in a bank. Okay. Yeah, I had to put a dad joke in. Um, the question, the next question uh, is the best advice you've ever gotten. Ah, man, there's a lot of good advice. Over the, I'm old now. I feel like I've uh, best advice I've ever gotten. I would say the one that's popping off the top of my head, the one that first came to my head, I had a really awesome mentor who was saying the, the key to success, especially in business development. And I've, and I've actually been able to translate this into all aspects of life of asking questions and like shutting up and listening. So the best advice she gave me was to ask questions. It obviously works in a business way. It works really great in a, in a personal way because you know, in personal life, ask questions. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What can I help out with? Or whatever. So questions, I think is the big, is the best advice I got was ask questions, ask good questions and then shut up and listen. Hmm. Kind of coming back to that curiosity, right? Like that you also mentioned mm -hmm. managers. It's like, if you're curious how everyone else is doing, then you'll get a lot out of that relationship. 
because you can listen and you can ask your questions. All right. And the last one is number nine. Best book you've read this year. Best book, book I've read this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I read, a, I'm a bit of a history nerd. So I read a book um, by Eric Larson, uh, The Splendid and the Vile, which is about Winston Churchill and his inner circle and his family during the London Blitz and the Battle of Britain. And it's fascinating. It's a very fascinating read. Eric Larson's a really good author. And, but it's fascinating for me. It was a little bit of like Winston Churchill is obviously well known. He's, he's a great orator and, and uh, obviously a great leader in, the, in that moment of history. He's actually in the bag most of the time. The guy drinks a lot and actually was able to cut loose and somehow made a lot of really important decisions uh, with a cigar in his mouth and a whiskey or a champagne in his hand. I found that very fascinating reading that book uh, as, as somebody who I've seen as a, as a leader of like, wow, this guy's got his shit together. When you read like the more personal side of it is like, man, he was, he was living day by day too uh, during the most, one of the more historically important and significant uh, periods of time. So that was the book I read. I, I highly recommend it if you're into uh, uh, history books, The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Okay. I'll link to it in the show notes. There but yeah, it's fascinating to always hear the BTS of very important historic moments and how people actually, yeah, even the greatest really struggled sometimes yeah. from the day-to-day -day perspective and yeah we are kind of you know we're all heroes of our own lives just trying to make it to the next day so exactly exactly all right michael thank you so much for being on the podcast i'm so grateful for you you know spending some time with me and i do hope you're going to come back next year yeah maybe it won't be that crazy but i would be very doubtful because mobile gaming is always busy and it's always <laughs> it's gonna get busier but yeah. thanks again it was great to have you so many important things we're writing a book turns out now <laughs> i love it we're gonna do it in 2021 we're gonna get a book out so um yeah. no look thank you so much for having me on it was, it was really fun talking to you and i'm i'm excited to see your your future post hopefully hopefully more smart ideas from my head no but I am looking into this learning space, so let's see what, what happens out of there. But uh, the least I can do is, I think, keep on bringing people on the podcast and letting them share their wisdom and their ideas so we can all grow together. At least I'll keep on doing that in the coming months. Awesome. Really great initiative. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Michael, for being a wonderful guest on the podcast. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Come back next week for the new episode. Bye.